That is the disciples' confession in John 6. That is um, an appealing admission that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he's the one who has the words of life. Where would we go? However, it is good for us to remember that that's because most of the class walked out before Jesus was done teaching. Jesus said, if you want to be one of mine, then you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people said, too much. I'm leaving. That's what Jesus called persecution of the word. And they left. And he looks at the few who were willing to submit themselves to the hard truth and says, will you leave also? And they say, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Let's turn to the word of God in Romans chapter 15. And we'll finish what is the fourth in this four-part series on Christian ministry by looking today at Romans chapter 15 and verse 30 through 33. Romans 15.30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayer to God on my behalf. Pray, I appeal to you, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You can be seated. I am glad to be with you in this room. I am hopeful that there are many that are able to join us from home because I'm aware that uh, that might not be the case some Sundays. Um, I mentioned to you last week that we, we grow in um, our sanctification, sometimes by frustration. And uh, the new network upgrade, which was a blessing, has created some complications in our live stream ministry. Some of you I know are back here for the first time in a couple weeks, uh, being up to it today physically. And we're sorry that it's been difficult to watch from home, but I know it has been. Um, and I'm thankful today if uh, you're able to tune in. I, I want to comment as I start talking about Christian ministry. Sometimes Christian ministry is, is subtle. It almost goes unnoticed. And I want to talk about two really subtle ministers to us this morning. Two young ladies named Natalie and Chloe. I was in my office this morning reviewing some sermon notes, and I heard a baby crying. It was Kate. And I thought, I wonder if Kate's okay. And so I walked down the hall, and I looked in the nursery, and Natalie and Chloe, two little girls, her older sisters, were in there watching Kate, which wasn't a really enjoyable job at that moment. Kate was not happy to be watched in the nursery. But Natalie and Chloe were in there because, at the last minute, their mom had been asked to fill in at piano because someone was sick. <laughs> and their dad, for the first time, maybe in human history, <laughs> sang on the worship team. 
And so Natalie and Chloe served us and their parents by supervising baby Kate, who cried and cried and cried. And will sleep wonderfully this afternoon at nap time. Christian ministry is all sorts of subtle contributions of gospel generosity. And that's one example. There are dozens this morning of people who are filling in different places, people who serve, people who we miss because they can't be here right now, but they minister to us and we, we do miss them when they're not here. In this section on Romans 15, we've been talking a lot about Christian ministry and what it is. Today, we're going to cover the last one, the last part, the fourth part in Christian ministry, and that is going to be this, the minister's commission. When it comes to gospel ministry, there's nothing more authentic than our prayer to the Lord, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I earnestly beg you to pray for us. Children who are still in the room, you can be dismissed to Children's Church, I think. I assume there's someone down the hall to supervise. Um, So if you are still in the room and you're headed off to Children's Church, you can do so now. If there's Children's Church. Okay. The reason that prayer is so authentic in Christian ministry is because prayer is our confession that the ministry we want to see happen, the fruit we want to see is fruit we can't produce. In other words, we are not aspiring to moral reform. We're going to have church. We're going to have a community that makes better people, more honest people, more compassionate, more charitable people. That's not our goal. Our prayer is to God to produce fruit by the preaching of his word that followers of Christ be progressively set apart from sinning to the glory of Jesus Christ. And you and I can't touch the parts of a soul that need to be reshaped to do that. So we pray. Let me give us some context for this fourth part, the church able to minister to each other. Interpersonal relationships that are going to be worthwhile have to have Christ at the center. And that's what I love about Romans 15. The whole chapter has reminded us that doing relationships is difficult, but keeping Christ at the center is the solution to any potential frustration. Keep Christ at the center, and the frustrations won't destroy the relationship. Marriage, business partnerships, church. Let's look at Romans. Let's, let's, let's review where we've been to this point in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 in verse 1. We who are strong, so there's a category of people, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. There's other people. Interpersonal relationships. Not to please ourselves. I know it might seem natural for you to please yourself, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, Christian minister, edify them, and here's why. We are the people of Christ, and Christ did not please himself. But as it has been written, 
the reproach of those that reproach you, there's a category of people, fell on Christ, there's another category of people, interpersonal relationship, Christ at the center. Whatever was written in former days, we're in verse 4 now, was written for our instruction that through endurance, through encouragement of the scripture, we would have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, interpersonal relationships, in accord with Christ at the center. Why? So we have better marriages, so we have better churches, so we enjoy the chit-chat? No, verse 6, purpose clause. That together, you with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's good motivation. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness so that or in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. To magnify the faithfulness of God, that is. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, the worship of God. You strive together, worshiping the Lord in one accord for God's sake. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing your name. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What we've been doing now more recently is in verse 14 through verse 29. We saw first a ministry commendation. The people you minister to, listen, it is wise for you to tell them where you're thankful for their growth. Paul does that. He says, I am thankful to see your growth in goodness, full of goodness. I'm thankful to see your growth in knowledge. You're full of knowledge. I'm thankful to see your growth in being able to use that knowledge for the good of others, able to instruct each other in verse 14. Not only did we see ministry commendations, like encouraging people, patting them on the back and saying, It might not seem to you like the growth is measurable, but it's there. And I want to encourage you, the Spirit is active in your life. I can tell you're growing in goodness and knowledge and serving each other with it. But then he moves on to ministry convictions. The minister has some things he cares about. Seems like, just a a quick word, it might seem to you like you're not allowed to have convictions in the day we're living in. Convictions are divisive. And convictions are self-promoting. It might seem like you're not allowed to be passionate about things. Gospel ministers are passionate. Not about peripheral things, but about priority things. And here, this gospel minister, Paul, is passionate about a purpose for ministry. He says this in verse 15. But on some points I have written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. In other words... I care to tell you things that aren't simple because God's commissioned me to do that. He says next, not only are there these symptoms of what he's doing, 
he's passionate about it. He's sincere about it. Verse 16. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, in my ministry purpose, it is this. He would summarize it this way. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. We could do a lot of things and spend a lot of effort and not fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ, couldn't we? Maybe some of you heard the same person make this comment. I heard it this week. One good question to ask whenever you're doing a ministry is to ask yourself the question, who will benefit? Who will benefit? That resonated with me. Paul says, I'm doing ministry so that the benefit would be the gospel of Christ. I would encourage you, be careful that you know what you're aiming at as you serve other people. We aim at the gospel of Christ. He says this next. He says he has some passion for ministry. Not just purpose, but passion. He says he wants to be with other Christians. First, he says in verse 20 through 22 that he wants to be with the saints who aren't yet. He wants to be with Christians who don't even know Christ yet. He wants to go preach the gospel where it's not been preached. He says next, he wants to be in Rome. He wants to go to the church that this letter's been written to, and he wants to spend time with them. But then ultimately, he says, I I can't right now. I want to go to Rome on my way to Spain, but I I can't because I have a ministry to do in Jerusalem in verse 25 and 26. What is that ministry? He, He explains it. It's to be a blessing to the saints. He's going to take them a financial gift. He's going to take them an offering, significant offering, and they need it. There's been a famine there. There's been persecution of Christ followers. Like you can't get a job in Jerusalem if you're a Christ follower. And Paul says, I've I've taken some Gentile offerings and I'm going to take it to Jewish Christians. And it's a gospel ministry because it's going to remind those Jewish Christians that the Gentile Christians are one body in Christ. And there might be some unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem who are going to say, wait, wait, wait. Gentiles sent money to Jews? What's going on? It might be a gospel opportunity. And then he says this. He doesn't just want to take them an offering. He's not just a mailman. He wants to be with them in spiritual gift. The fullness of the blessings of Christ. That's where we pick up today. So we've got his convictions. We saw earlier his commendations. Let's talk today about his commission. The minister's commission. This is is what I would invite you to as a minister. Okay, Here it is right here, verse 30. This, This is Paul's to the church in Rome. It's ours for the church in Wausau. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in prayer to God on my behalf. I appeal. The word appeal is, it's to grab someone by the sleeve and say, come by me. Come by me and do what I'm doing with me. I appeal to you. Come alongside me. He's a Christian minister, amen, at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, come alongside me. And he calls on the Trinity. Don't don't miss it. We've seen it once before, and we could have almost missed it then. He calls on the worth, the value, the, 
the reality of the Trinity. He says, he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, by the love of the Spirit, God the Spirit, strive with me in prayer to God the Father. He had done that earlier in 15 through 16. Emphasizing that this work being done. In fact, let's look there, verse 15 through 16. He says in Romans 15, 15, on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God, this ministry I'm doing, it's God's ministry. It's a ministry of Jesus Christ to Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. Because what I'm going to do in the Gentiles is a work of sanctification by the Holy Spirit. I mean, twice in one chapter, there's undeniable Trinitarian doctrine. You have people say, well, the Trinity is not in the Bible. That's true as long as you don't read it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I'm ministering, and I want to pray, and I want you to come pray with me in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, in the name of the Father, because of our triune God. Let's pray. So he says, Let's strive together in praying. The word literally has for its root agonizo. It's meant to be just that. Paul is saying, grab onto each other, pull yourselves in, and agonize with me in praying. Joel Beakey says, this is putting prayer in your praying. The call to corporate, intense prayer. The Bible tells us in James 5.17 that Elijah had prayer in his praying. I want to say a quick word about the ministry of prayer before I go on to what it is that Paul's asking ministers to pray about as a minister to other people i want you to understand that you can absolutely discourage a young disciple by having prayer that doesn't have any praying in it and it's it's subtle it happens often and it's almost never something we intend to do prayerless praying i i would i would say to you pastorally it is like a stumbling block to a young christian when we when we participate in the ministry of prayer we should not be casual or flippant. I think sometimes we spiritualize our praying by measuring the minutes we pray. You can pray in your praying for two minutes or do something much less for 20. But agonizing in prayer... Because sometimes our confession of faith slips to the back of our mind. 
Prayer can be challenging. But sometimes circumstances push it right back to the front. You've been there. You get word from the doctor. And you agonize in praying. The sheriff comes to the front porch and knocks on the door and says, I have some bad news. And you agonize in praying. We all know what it is. But because the confession of our faith slips to the back of our minds, we sometimes pray without praying. If you've been to some challenging prayer meetings of the church, you might sometimes be tempted to be discouraged about prayerless praying. If you've grown up in church, it's, I, I don't doubt that you've witnessed it, and it might have tempted you to be discouraged about praying. Ministers say to the people they minister to, come alongside me and let's anguish in prayer. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to call for help here. Samuel's mother. You don't have it? Samuel's mother? Hannah. See, I walked this way to this spot when I needed help. Okay? <clears throat> Hannah? You remember when Hannah was praying? And what did the priest think? He's drunk. Jesus goes to the garden and agonizes in praying. We have practical examples of what it means to pray with prayer. So, Let's pray that we would pray with prayer. Paul says, <clears throat> I want you to come alongside me. I want to grab you by the shirt sleeve and pull you to my side and agonize with me in prayer. And he, he gives three things. I'm going to alliterate them, and I hope, it doesn't, uh, I hope it doesn't confuse us. I hope that the alliteration helps keep us on track. The first one, he says, Come alongside and agonize with me <clears throat> in praying for safety. <clears throat> that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. <laughs> it seems weird that Paul would say, pray for my safety. I mean, I've already read Paul. I know he said things like, to die is gain. <clears throat> oh, the... Sweet relief of death. <laughs> and now he's like, okay, pray for safety. <clears throat> it is not wrong for us to pray for safety. As Paul is agonizing a prayer for safety to be delivered to the extent that he could continue on missionary journey to do the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the same Paul who said to die is gain said to live is Christ. He says, I've been hard-pressed between those two choices. Sometimes I think, man, I would much rather just die and be with the Lord. But what's his conclusion when, in that context? He says, but I've concluded this. It's good for you for me to stay and minister. His prayer for safety is not a prayer for a life of comfort without frustration. His prayer for safety is opportunities to do the next ministry of the gospel of Christ. Acts 20, 24, he says this. 
I don't count my life of any value, nor even precious to myself. If only I may finish my course, the ministry that I received from Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So I alliterate with the word safety. Perseverance might be a good substitute. He says, agonize with me in praying for safety. Agonize with me in praying for success. Saying this, pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That they would not misunderstand that this collection, that it's giving, wouldn't be misconstrued. Uh, Good intentions. Years ago, I read this quote. A ministry of communication often means a hobby in miscommunication. That's true. James 3.1, the Bible says it's true. You want a ministry of speaking? Okay, but you're going to offend a lot of people as you do. I don't mean to do that. Yeah, I know. But the tongue is something else. Paul says, as I do this ministry of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in motive and delivering this gift, and as I get there speaking about the body of Christ being knit together, pray that it won't be misconstrued, misrepresented. Pray that it will be acceptable to the saints. Let's turn our Bibles back to Acts chapter 1. I'm sorry, I didn't mean Acts Acts 21. Acts chapter 21, let's look at uh, how it went. He says, pray that this ministry would be acceptable. And we look back to Acts chapter 21, and we'll start reading in verse 17. In Acts 21, 17, the word of the Lord says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Paul says, agonize with me that that will happen. And the Lord answered, and it did. That the ministry would be acceptable. And for Paul, the punctuation of gospel ministry is the glorifying of God. Third, not just for safety, not just for success. Satisfaction. Look at verse 32, the second half of the verse. That by God's will I may come to you with joy, be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. There are some people who think that those are the last words of the original letter to the Romans. I'm not convinced that Romans 16 is not part of the original letter. I can see why they might suspect that because of the way Paul ends. Praise that this gospel ministry, agonizing in prayer, to be encouraged, to be refreshed, to be in fellowship and in joy because the God of peace carries us. In Acts chapter 20 and 21, the believers in Caesarea beg Paul not to go to Jerusalem because they know his death 
waits him. They know you're going to be in prison. <laughs> they have this really vivid word picture. They tie him up in a rope. Well, yeah, that's what's going to happen. In Acts 21, 13, Paul says this, I'm ready to die. The will of the Lord be done. In Acts chapter 23, and verse 11, he had already said this, the following night, or already experienced this, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. If you have, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you'll testify about me in Rome. The Lord had told Paul, you're going to get to go to Rome. That's true. Kind of. He's arrested. In the trip he took to Jerusalem to take the offering, he gets arrested. And he tries his way all the way up to the supreme court of the land, which means an escort to Rome. According to Acts 28, 30 through 31, Paul spends two years under Roman house arrest. Paul's prayer. Safety. Success. Satisfaction. And he winds up being delivered by escort. Not a simple journey, but he winds up being delivered by escort to Rome, where he spends two years there. He doesn't go to Spain, but he spends two years in Rome ministering with what seems like a lot of liberty under house arrest, doing a lot of gospel ministry in Rome until church history tells us that Paul was beheaded by the Roman Emperor Nero. He says this as a minister to ministers. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The God of peace. Christian ministry, the ministry of the gospel of Christ, is not meant to be peaceful. Jesus had told his followers, he says, listen, just heads up, they hated me. They're not going to idolize you. Paul had said once that he was glad to be able to fill up that which was lacking in the afflictions that were directed at Christ Jesus. In other words, the people were so hateful at Jesus that Paul counted it a privilege to be able to receive that same hatred for him as a follower of Christ. they, They weren't done swinging when Jesus died. And so I'm glad to be the next object of that wrath. Jesus said, unless you suffer, unless you labor, unless you struggle with me, then you don't enjoy union with me in the reward and the benefit of life. May the God of peace be with you when the circumstances of gospel ministry will be consistently difficult. I wonder, so let me say pastorally to you in the last few minutes. If I were to invite you the way we read here, this commission of the gospel minister. If I were to say to you, as my brothers and sisters in Jesus, I appeal to you to strive with me 
in praying. I wonder if right now we are eager to pray for safety. Not that we wouldn't know harm. Evil has done more to affect the church through comfort in our culture than anything else. We're not praying to be delivered from trouble. We're praying for the next opportunity to labor in the gospel of Christ. In Acts chapter 5, there's persecution happening on the church, and the disciples have been arrested. And they're brought in, and their accusation... These are the guys, these are the guys that are turning the world upside down. You want that on your tombstone. Don't preach Jesus anymore. I said, well, thanks for asking, but that's not going to happen. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Every day in the temple, from house to house, they didn't stop teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. (laughs) They had been arrested. They had been penalized. But they had been kept safe for the next day of gospel work. That's kingdom perspective. Right? I mean, that's hope deferred. God answered my prayer. I got beat up today, but tomorrow's a reality. (laughs) I'll go preach the gospel. I wonder if not just safety, but success. That our ministry would be in accord to the gospel of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit to the glory of God. That's gospel success. The good news of Jesus A work that is supernatural by the Spirit and brings glory to God. That's a sermon right there. Church, I seriously, um, the gospel of Jesus, don't assume. When I talk about the gospel of Jesus, don't assume, oh yeah, yeah, the gospel of Jesus. Ask someone you minister to, what is the gospel of Jesus? And then hold your breath. Because I don't know what you'll hear next. I have no idea what you're going to hear next. Is the ministry we do, this gospel of Jesus, Something that you and I have the charisma and the talent to do? John 3, I read earlier. John 3, that which is born of spirit is spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. So are we doing spirit ministry? Or are we just doing like moral reform? Be better. We can get that. We can get that. We can reward it. We can guilt it. We can nag it. Do better. 
thought I told you to do better. See, now they're doing better. Whew, that was tiring, right? Is that spirit dependent? And then lastly, don't assume this either. Would you agonize with me in praying gospel ministry that is spirit-empowered to the glory of God? Because there is so much successful ministry that doesn't have much to do with the glory of God. Satisfaction. I just want to say, church, it is not, it is not godless hedonism to pray for us to be content with godliness. It is not godless hedonism for us to pray that our joy would grow up. It becomes godless hedonism when we pray for either one of those things to be a reality independent from Jesus. Listen, in fact, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2. Right now, like, right now, I commented on this a little bit this past week in our Thanksgiving service. Our thankfulness sometimes runs off into two ditches. Sometimes into the the hyper-spiritual and sometimes the hyper-physical. Sometimes we're only thankful for the money or the check or the house or the car. Sometimes we're only thankful for that. And then sometimes we're over here in this other ditch in the hyper-spiritual. Like, I'm only happy or thankful for heaven. And if I thank God for the car we drive safely every day around town, that's evil. That's carnal. Sometimes our thankfulness falls into one of those two ditches. It is not godless hedonism to say, Lord, cause my joy to abound as you provide both the physical and the spiritual. 1 Thessalonians 2. 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. We want to come to you. I, Paul, I want to keep coming. I want to keep in fellowship. I want to keep visiting again and again. But Satan has hindered us. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Isn't it you? You are our glory and joy. Now, I don't have time to go to Thessalonians and show that whole context, but that's a powerful uh, seed of joy to a minister. Paul's ministering to Thessalonica. Uh, the church at Thessalonica, and they're discouraged. I mean, they, they've quit working. They quit working. They don't have jobs. <laughs> they're walking around with their heads down. You know why? They thought they missed the return of the Lord. Ah! I knew I shouldn't have gone to the bathroom then. The Lord came back and I missed it. And Paul says, Stop! He has to address laziness because they were so discouraged, they just stopped. The bills pile up and quit working. And Paul says, stop. I have ministered the gospel to you. In fact, I'm so confident that we will see the Lord 
that you are like to me the crowns and their jewels of worship at the throne. That's what he says in verse 19. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord? When we come to the Lord, what will we worship with? You. You are our glory and joy. Will you agonize with me in praying? The day is coming. We will see our Savior face to face. The day is a reality. And when it happens, will there be people with you who you will cast at the feet of Jesus figuratively? Your grace commissioned me to minister the gospel of Christ. The Spirit of God did it to your glory. This is great joy to me. These people who I've served and ministered to. I don't, I don't think it would be necessary for me to belabor the alternative. Like, like to try to flesh out as a group, are there Christians who will be at the throne of God who don't minister? I don't know if that's a reality or not. The Bible talks about some people being saved by the skin of their teeth. I don't know what exactly that looks like for everyone. I want to say this when it comes to agonizing for next opportunity, for faithfulness, for the joy of worship. Doing really supernatural ministry. I mean, you, you, can, you can hear me say, go do something that's spirit-dependent and is going to have eternal significance you say oh do i really believe that so let me finish this morning with a word of conclusion there is there is a poisonous perspective that creeps in to christians It infects our faith. It's the poison that God himself is somehow hindered by the actions of evil people. That the very hand of God is made impotent by evil. Let me try to illustrate what would be your um, what would be your agonizing prayer? Praying and you're praying. 
that God would send you to a people group that doesn't welcome any Christians in. Like you're, you're not welcome there. You'll, you'll be ejected if you're found out. So for more clarification, what would be your praying in prayer that you would be the next Christian to find your way into Afghanistan? Would the praying in your prayer be restricted by, well, it's an illegal country. Those people hate Christians. They don't want to hear what I have to say. That's just not going to work. I'm not asking you to abandon reason. But I want us all to remember that Nothing stays the hand of God. And I don't want you just to nod like you agree with that. Because a ministry that nods like, yep, the hand of God, isn't going to do anything. I don't want you to nod in agreement. I want us to function in agreement. I talked in my class this morning a lot about spoken theology and lived theology. It encourages me that we have a very biblical spoken theology. By the Spirit of God, there are people in this room who say things that are only spiritually discernible. That's a blessing. But there's also work to do. Because there's that that poison that's always infecting our faith that what we say is real can be acted on. Let me give you an example. This point today, the finishing point of 15, is our commission. The minister's commission. Now, okay, just engage with me. I, I got probably a minute here. Engage with me. If I say, the minister's commission text comes to your mind the great commission right matthew 28 18 and 19 and i have i have tried to repeat for my own soul and for ours the bookends of the great commission you know them when jesus sends us to minister to minister (laughs) uh I was going to use the word vaccinated. Uh, That would be a big distraction. To minister safe from the venom of doubt that evil is going to restrain the hand of God. When Jesus calls us to minister safe from that poison, he does it like this. All of the authority in both heaven and on earth is mine. And he finishes by saying, I'm right beside you. Not just today, but to the end of the age. And in Jesus' ministry to us, he guards us from the poisons of doubt. 
I don't know if I don't know if I can give myself to ministering to others. I'm not sure it'll be worthwhile. Being poured out like a drink offering? Having less, doing less? <laughs> but if it doesn't work, all the authority is mine. And I'm with you to the end. When it comes to gospel ministry, there is nothing that is more authentic to the minister than praying. Meaningful ministry depends on God. Our vision for ministry, and if, if you attend here, I hope it encourages you to know that the vision, the passion, the prayer that we have for you is that God might use the weakness of our hands to do what can only be done by the Spirit of God in your life. That's really encouraging. I want to be in a body of Christians who say, God's going to use my jar of clay to do something supernatural in your life. This is the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you have led us into this paragraph that just resembles the still water and the green pastures. It is a confidence that is in Christ. It is an opportunity to live worthwhile to the praise of your glory, to lay down life, to lay up treasure in heaven, to do the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Lord, today, whether the ministry that you are continuing to grow us in is a ministry right here in this church, in this community, or to the corners of the globe. Keep guarding us from the poison of doubt that it might not be worthwhile, it might not bear fruit, it might not be successful. Evil might keep you from accomplishing anything through us. prince of the power of this air is subject to you gives an account to you and will one day receive your justice for his rebellion so father make us to minister and to walk in that ministry by faith in christ's name